This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 419 for Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Back this week, Mr. Brocket Vola. Hello, sir. Hey, Joel. It's so great to hear your voice, and I'm communicating with it versus washing dishes and nodding or saying, Joel, no, you know, you kind of missed the point on that, and you're just talking. You're just talking to your your other friends and co-hosts, and I have no say in it, and that's fine. I mean, I feel like I feel like a real part of the community in that in that sense. I caught myself doing that the other day. I was either listening to a podcast or I was on one, and I was nodding, and I'm just like, "It's audio that they they can't they can't hear me <laughs> nod." Uh, but I've certainly done that listening to other podcasts where I like kind of bob my head, you know, listen to the dishes, like, "Yep, that's how I feel too," or. You know, you're listening to something that you're you're passionate about. Um, for the folks that are are interested uh, in more Brocket, uh, you can find him at the Cat Volver on all the social media that matters. And it's October, which means that you're back with the hashtag Candy of This Day on Instagram and Facebook. So, how's that going this year? Good. I haven't had my rigid last year with COVID. It kind of made it hard to keep going out and grabbing candies. Right. So last year and this year, I haven't been able to get, you know, at all 31 days. I've had some lulls. I've also had a second child since last year as well. So now we have young Ainsley with us along with Emerson. So they're eight months and three years at this point. And we moved all the way from Illinois to Texas. So we've had a lot of major things. I think it's officially two months now we've been here in our home in Texas. So uh, we moved closer to family and to actually have a single family home versus condo. So there's been a lot of stuff. So I was able to run out when the season hit and grab some different candies. But I'm also hitting a point where I really didn't want to keep doing the same thing. So I tried to make a rule where I wouldn't repeat anything directly like, OK, Snickers, but then like Snickers almond, but never Snickers almond or Snickers again. But now this will probably be, I think, the fifth year I've done it. If you do 31 and sometimes I'd pair things up in the beginning when I thought, you know, I, I wasn't thinking. And so I'd knock out two or three candies, sometimes one review. And now I'm like, oh, God, there's, there's, you know, there's still an abundance of stuff. And if you go to some novelty short stores, you still find some cool things. And I found some new stuff this year, but a lot of them tend to be brand, you know, with a new wrinkle. And, you know, I think that's still pretty interesting to a lot of folks because, you know, some warheads talk this year and then um some Swedish fish. So if you like those two different things, trying out their like newest little candy thing can be really exciting. Um, so I've hit some of that stuff. So it's it's been interesting. Um, as usual, I think most people are worried about my sh- blood sugar levels and whatnot. And again, my disclaimer is like I get them, and I but I don't always eat them all. Especially if you kind of read the review and it seems like I'm not a big fan. Like I think I did all sorts three years ago based on your recommendation. <laughs> And I recorded my my reaction to eating one of them. And I could guarantee you, I tried 
each of the different shapes just to be sure there wasn't a total difference because they did have a little slight texture slash taste difference. Yep. But the core of it was a uh, poop. So really, <laughs> uh, it didn't matter what you do. I mean, you put sugar on poop is it's still poop. It's still so poop. I'm so sorry yeah. if you're having your breakfast during this thing and I've come back into your life with poop talk off the top of the show. But back in the day, I would say it's an emergency poop conversation. And if you know what I mean, that's you know what I mean. <laughs> Spoken like a man with two kids under three, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because on Facebook, which I rarely visit, uh, I was greeted the other day with a, do you remember this moment from about three years ago? And it was a giant bag of all sorts that either I was tagged in or I had posted that I was probably either, um, jabbing you, uh, or, uh, or receiving something from you, which was probably, oh, yeah. which was probably an all sorts poop joke. So, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's funny. Like I, it, they're one of the things I'm not going to eat a lot of them, but I, I c certainly don't mind them. Uh, I can blame my mother. My mother is a black licorice fan. Uh, and yeah. and yeah, it's, it's definitely an acquired taste, but I also find that, and I, and I, you might be able to speak to this having so much time with candy. I find as I get older, I don't necessarily want, uh, sweet stuff like, uh, candies like Skittles or even like a chocolate bar from like a, like a manufactured chocolate bar, like a, like a Snickers, um, coffee crisp. I will, that's a nostalgic thing, but I, even then I still find them very, very sweet. Uh, I am, I'm, I don't get me wrong. I still, I still have a sweet tooth, but I want like chocolate chip cookies or I want apple pie or, uh, you want or, savory or salty savory on or, top of yeah, or or like buttery, like um, but yeah, yeah, like yeah. that kind of like if I'm and some of it has to do with just being older, uh, being health conscious, and just being like if I'm gonna waste calories, <laughs> I'm gonna I want salt and butter. <laughs> yeah, I want I want uh, pastries, not you know sugar, just straight sugar because. I get enough sugar from the amount of carbs I eat because I that's something that I also like. I will sit down with a piece of toast <laughs> and consider yeah. that a decent treat, you know. So, so getting into like you know candies and stuff. Now there are exceptions. Like I really like peanut M and M's, but I think it's because they have that nice balance with the nut and the salt, yeah, and and then th some decent chocolate. I mean, it, people that like chocolate and know what's going into M and M's will probably you know scream at me, but. Um, there's definitely some things that, that I put at the very bottom of my, my candy list. And, um, I always find it amusing. The, the conversation that I have every holiday, uh, with my, my sister, because she has a um, stepdaughter, uh, and she's under 10, um, and hasn't yet like got a taste for like apple pie at Christmas. She wants, mm -hmm. you know, ice cream, which is always there or cookies, like the sugar cookies and that kind of stuff, or, or she wants a candy cane. And I just find it so funny because like, I don't remember a time when I was a kid that I didn't like apple pie. Same with my sister. My sister has always, it's her favorite thing. It's her favorite dessert. Right. Um, and I always find it so interesting that young kids that, that have a sweet tooth, but will just, just don't like apple pie or don't like the pies and the pastries that the adults tend to like. And I've watched myself over time go from drinking coffee with cream and sugar to coffee with just cream to coffee with just milk to now if it's a good cup of coffee, I could just drink it black. And uh, I find that that's the same with a lot of um, 
we'll say manufactured sweets, like, you know, the candies and gummies. I've Well, I've never been a gummy guy, even as a kid, just wasn't my favorite. Mm. I'd rather, I'd rather have something like an M&M or a Smartie or, or whatever. Um, do you find, uh, have, like, have you ever thought about putting together like an, like, a, like an, a Halloween advent calendar? So instead of Christmas, you would do like candy of this day and just have like, <laughs> it's too bad that you can't buy them in smaller amounts. You know, because there's some things yeah. like, you know, like, I mean, I guess around Halloween, you probably can if you want an entire bag of the stuff, because then you could have like one little chocolate bar that's like two bites. And that way, if right. you don't like it, you know, or or if you do like it, <laughs> you've only eaten just the one and you don't have to right. worry about it. Um, but yeah, I just it's I imagine it would probably get challenging after a while. Yeah, no, it'd be fun. Um, the first year I did it or, or around the start of the second year, someone was like, just put together like a coffee table book of the little mm. reviews and stuff like that. And I mean, licensing aside and, you know, cause well, I, yeah. I, yeah. And using people's products and, you know, some reviews are favorable. Some reviews are not so favorable. Some reviews I just use as like a, I did a bit once with good and plenty and lemon heads. Cause I did them back to back where, um, I made like a joke of, of describing one, like a horror film, like, you know, the classic story of like the lovers in a car and then something scrapes along the side and then, you know, the thing mm -hmm. comes into the car or whatever. Or they just get away. I basically made a whole allusion to good and plenty being this horrific monster that's just creeping upon you. <laughs> um, and so I don't know that people at good and plenty would necessarily love it or maybe they would. I mean, sometimes the best publicity is just like stuff where people are like, oh, that's, you know, you laugh at it or you're mm -hmm. able to laugh at yourself. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it, it'd be cool. And I did get uh, oh. I should share this with you. Well, though, I won't bust it out until December. But uh, at Costco, they had little Lego advent calendars. Oh, nice. So I had three choices. Laura was like, okay, yeah, go get one. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sweet. Um, I had three choices. I had Harry Potter. I had um, Avengers. And then I had, oh, shoot. What was the last one? Harry Potter, Avengers. Star Wars? Four. Must have been. Star Wars, yes, yes, obviously, duh. So I had one of those three choices. So I, I don't. This is a this is a difficult test, I think, because I I know most people might know that I love all three pretty much. But what did you think I finally decided on, Joel? I would say Avengers would be my my gut That's reaction. Right. You did yeah. it. You did it. Because yeah. Laura was like, "Wow, I really thought you were gonna go Harry Potter." I was like, "Harry Potter was three. Also, mostly because all the pieces are just, you know, like, it's cool, but, like, some of them are just kids in outfits, so that's less exciting. And with Star Wars, some of it was just, like, ships and stuff, which was so cool. But to me, uh, as, as a superhero nerd my entire life, even before I loved Star Wars or Harry Potter, um, just seeing, like, some of the characters, um, like, Spider-Man's in a Christmas sweater. Uh, and then <laughs> Iron Man is like throwing ice snowballs on the picture. So I, I'll just be, it would be fun to see the little mini figs that are done specifically for the holidays. So I'll be looking forward to that. But uh, is it but one yeah. set that you get a bit at a time or is it like 25? No, sets? that would be kind of cool. They, they kind of make the picture on the back look like you can do it up. Like, oh, you're at the Avengers place and look there's a cleaning bod and there's a christmas mm. tree made out of the infinity stones and so they don't show all the pieces but they show like four <laughs> or five of them yeah the infinity stone christmas tree one i'm like that's really cute that's a smart idea um so they kind of make it look like you know if you have the space and no small children you could put these out and start to build like a scene with them 
Um, me, I will open them, love them, enjoy them in like the security of a room for like four minutes and then put them away again until my children are older. Um, and I still have not made my Lego bottle ship thing that we talked about years ago. Really? I got that for my birthday this year. Yeah, but we were going to move. It was my birthday is in April. Right. We were going to move. Uh, so I just didn't do it. I knew, you know, it didn't make sense to put something with over 200 tiny blue pieces <laughs> in a box after I've opened it. So it's still in my closet. I'm waiting for sure until we have our shelving and everything set up. And all yeah, up. yeah, That's I can I can sort of see that. I, I have this weird thing where I've got Lego sets that were given to me like last Christmas or earlier. Uh, and because I've set this precedent of sharing that stuff on stream, like building it on stream. Right. It's it, it feels odd to then just do it on my own. Uh, I also find that it's, it's, it's a similar um, vibe that I get from video games where, uh, yes, I will sit on the couch and play something like Avengers or, or, or mess around on the Xbox for a bit in Forza. But if I'm playing something I'm really invested in, like Satisfactory or Minecraft, I stream it. I don't tend to play them offline. I tend to always mm -hmm. stream when I play them. Some of that is that I'm a busy adult and then that's the only time I can really excuse for it because uh, it's part of the business. But then it's also um sharing that and building lego by myself i've done it once or twice where i'd be stopping every few minutes to take pictures and share it on instagram because i just don't it's not as fun like it's just when i was a kid you know you'd be building it at christmas time and like my grandfather would be watching or you know family would be around and and every once in a while they'd pop pop by and be like oh wow that's really coming together or you get to walk into the living room and show it off when you're done and so I've got a Lego Y-Wing, a Lego Snowspeeder, and one other set. I think it is a, an A-Wing. Um, and like, I think one was a gift from my dad for my birthday. Uh, one was a gift from um, supporters. Uh, the other one was something I bought myself. Um, and, <clears throat> and it's just, it's weird that I haven't put them together yet. But at the same time, I like, I just... It, there's a lot of setup involved in putting the stream together with the, the camera. And then I decided I'm going to put it behind like a subscriber goal. And I don't know why it's this weird thing that I do with a lot of new stuff. Like if I get a new book, like I've got a book that was um, something I supported on Kickstarter. It's Derek Lofman's latest sketchbook. And it's not a big read. It's not a big ask. It's just, it, there's no words. It's just an art book to support Derek. It's still in the package. It's still in the mailing shipping, you know, package mm -hmm. that it arrived in. I just, I get the thing. I'm happy to have the thing, but then I don't let myself enjoy it for whatever reason. Oh, it's and the same thing. It's yeah. weird. It's a strange, it's a really strange thing. And, uh, it's not like I'm going to sit there and read the book on stream. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm just going to sit and enjoy it. But it's, it's a, it's a strange thing with stuff like that, that I buy myself for no other reason other than just fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. You have a moment where you're like, this will be really cool to consume. And then once you've like purchased it or you get it and you see it, there's a, you know, and then you put it aside. And then, yeah, sometimes when we moved, I saw like at least six or seven books. I was like, oh, man, I really like to read it. And, and a majority of them are just graphic novels, which, again, much easier to get through than the, the Dresden Files books that I took a pause on or you mm -hmm. know, this or that thing. But it is like every time I go to sit down, I'm like, well. I, I think I just want to check out and, you know, play on the switch or watch a, uh, a TV show on, on my phone or whatever. And I'm like, 
but also those things are to check out. So it's this weird tier system of like somehow in your brain and maybe it's the culture we've established where like, not like you're lazy in your consumption of, of pop culture, but the ad, the advent of ease at which you can do so much more digitally has made the non-digital so precious that sometimes you overdo it. You know, like sometimes you're like, oh, I really want to give this book my full attention. So I want to make sure I have lots of time, the right lighting, sit down, have like a cocoa or a drink or whatever it is. And then you've made such an event of it that you're like, oh, that seems like a lot of work. And you're like, oh no, why did I do that? Like that, the whole point was to like not make this a big deal. Whereas digitally, you know, you pull up your phone, you pull up your computer, you pull up your game system, you f- and it's gone, it's running. And so somehow in your brain, you're like, oh, you know, that's easy. I've, I've, I can, I can do that. And so I, I have that problem a lot. I'm, and particularly with children, if they've gone to bed, like trying to find the time after they've gone to sleep and Laura's gone to sleep or she's watching her own stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, now I have like roughly an hour, two hours, what do I want to do? And so sometimes I have to sit down and make myself read in that time or do a specific thing if it's my downtime. Um, otherwise, yeah, my phone just, my hands just reach in for the phone or, or uh, yeah, maybe a game system or something like that. I was reading all summer and I read outside and uh-huh. I don't have a comfortable spot to read uh i have a metal bistro set so i don't read for a great deal of time maybe an hour before it's just like okay i think my butt's asleep it might be time to go inside uh it's now a lot cooler up here uh it's not really something i can do outside Uh, maybe if the barbecue was going i could sit next to that i'd smell like a chimney the next day but um at least i would be able to sit outside and do it um and i thought having bought the new couch that i would have a better spot inside to read and it's probably just habit. Uh, it's par- in part that the couch is not as comfortable uh, to sit on. It's great to lounge on, um, but that's not good for someone that has some low back issues in terms of like sitting there for an hour or two to read. If I'm watching a movie, like I I get up a couple of times over the course of a film, either just mm-hmm. washroom or refresh my drink or whatever. But very often I'll just pause it and have to stand up and just, just go do something. Cause I, I'll feel restless and it's because I'm uncomfortable. And I know if I sit there for too much longer, then it's going to be a problem. I've been looking up some hacks actually for the Ikea Kivik to make it a little bit more comfortable. Uh, very popular couch. Uh, but uh, I think like you, I'm tall. Uh, so it's <laughs> yeah. a little bit low. And now good thing is that the legs on Ikea couches, you can do all kinds of stuff to improve them. So like I could, I could get different legs that might fit it. I could do, I could put risers on it. There's a bunch of different things that I could do. The real issue for me is that the knees and the hips are not aligned on it. So again, great for lounging, really nice and wide for me. I've got rod shoulders. So if I lay down on it, I'm not like pinched up. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm sleeping on the edge of a bed, you know, uh, I can, I can, I can lay on the couch flat and not really feel out of place, which is nice. Um, so there's a few things that I have to do in order to, to make it more comfortable to read because I don't read at the time when a lot of my friends read, which is before bed. Cause I, yeah. I can't do it. I can't l- sit on a bed in that way and be comfortable at all. So, uh, I just don't, um, and I probably should, but I, I feel that I feel you though. Like I, I, I want to make an event out of it. Uh, reading is, is something that it feels like, you know, you should do as an adult. Um, but at the same time, 
over the course of the pandemic, I've had a shorter attention span. And I think a lot of that is just to do with like, I want to be able to make a decision to change my mind at any point. So if I'm only watching three minute videos on TikTok, at any point I can stop and I'm not in the middle of something, right? Right. Um, we're going to get into a little bit more later on about, you know, watching things that are, that are kind of either hard to watch or hard to get into. And part of the, the good and the bad of having all this content at home is that like I can pause something if I'm not enjoying it or if I'm not into it yet. And then I just won't get back to it. Yeah. Uh, and I find that uh, I'll, I'll be halfway through or part of the way through a number of series, which I can't say I'm disliking. I've, I've watched more than three, which means I'm into them. Like I'm obviously liking it, but then to get me to finish it these days, it's a tall order. Um, and, and I find that, uh, in some ways, it's just maybe telling of our time, a little bit stressful for people at home, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so I haven't been too hard on myself about not reading because it's just kind of like, well, it's not like I don't. It's not like I never read. It's that I do when I'm in the mood for it. And so mm-hmm. these days, I've just been saying like, look, as long as it's not bad for me, like if I'm taking a break, it doesn't matter what I'm doing when I'm taking the break. You know, like am I, you know, doing the dishes to get up and move around? Am I sitting on my phone for an hour? Am I um, calling someone, you know, rather than texting? Am I um, playing a video game in the living room instead of watching Netflix? And I, I try not to beat myself up about like not reading um, because like really just kind of like lean into what your brain needs for that break. Um, part of it is that I, the, no, the book I'm reading that right now is, is um, I, well, it's a biography. So I guess it's nonfiction, but I mean, it's, it's about Disney and Lord knows like what, <laughs> what's true and what's not. I'm sure that the author uh, did their research, but like, it's all still, there's so much in this book. You're like, I don't know how to discern. I'm just going to have to take this guy's word for it that all this kind of stuff yeah. happened. Um, but it's, it's also a thick read. Like it's heavy. It's not necessarily a page turner. It's not uninteresting, but because you're talking about someone that was born over a hundred years ago and, and has been dead for almost, you know, 60. Uh, yeah. It's, there's a lot of information there uh, because it's such a prominent American public figure, figure with Walt Disney that you're just, there's just so much to communicate and, and it's just hard to get in the mood for that. So uh, I think I need to find something a little bit lighter, <laughs> you know, something that's maybe fiction based, maybe funny or, uh, or more of a page turner. Um, to get myself back in the mood for that kind of stuff. But then there's also the de- the, sh- the demand on my weekends lately, this time of year. Um, we've got uh, this past weekend, Minecraft Live happened. So that's three hours of my Saturday plus whatever prep time and post time that I had um, covering that with with Johnny uh, on the Chunks podcast. And I'm not saying it wasn't fun. It was great. But all of a sudden you're just like, you're tired and you've, your entire Saturday afternoon is gone, you know? So yeah, find, sure. finding the extra time to do stuff, it, it can be quite challenging. So if folks want to want to know or want to check that out, uh, you can go to the spawnchunks.com. There is the latest episode, which I think is 163. And uh, that is Johnny and I recapping the weekend, uh, pointing people towards our live coverage of the weekend on YouTube. Um, both of these will be available on YouTube. 
uh, plus links, of course, at the spawnchunks.com going to the different articles about the recap and what's happening. And so basically what happened was uh, Minecraft announced their next update, which is called the wild update. Uh, the caves and cliffs update part two is coming out around Christmas time uh, or somewhere between now and Christmas time. And then this wild update is like somewhere in 2022. But uh to kind of paint the picture, the caves and cliffs update is changing the way that the terrain is generated. So instead of just like these typical Minecraft biomes that have been around forever, they're now generating things like mountains and caves and the world is um, 128 blocks taller, I think. Uh, it's There's a lot going on. So what they've done with the follow-up update is they're going to be updating the biome. So birch forests are going to get a makeover. Swamps are going to get a makeover. They're adding frogs and fireflies and chest boats. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. Then they've also added uh, the deep dark, which is another kind of like, uh, not necessarily a boss level, but they're adding an extra challenge to the game. And they've included a new um, warden called the, uh, a mob called the warden, which is, looks like a Sasquatch with like bioluminescent antlers. Uh, and it kind of comes, it, I mean, it's going to be very fitting that we'll be talking about a horror show today. Cause it is a scary, <laughs> it's a scary part of the game. Like it, the, the, the level goes dark. You can't see it coming. It comes out of the ground kind of like, like Terminator two kind of like out of a puddle. Uh, it's yeah. Like it, it's, it's pretty intense for Minecraft and it's cool to see them pushing envelopes and and trying to put the game into a very different realm because the caves and cliffs update which we've been covering on the sponge chunks for quite some time really is making minecraft feel like a like a new game it feels like an up-to-date game uh still still the same blocky you know um textures and and graphics but right the concept and the immersion is feeling a lot more 2021 than something that's from you know 2009 uh, or 2010 and just kind of somehow hung on you know um there's a little bit more to it now which is really cool um so yeah i did covering that with with johnny live was was a lot of fun we had a live chat room uh we were on his twitch channel for it and uh, we captured the vod and put that up on youtube so for p folks that are interested in it you can go check it out and of course if you're, if you're a Minecraft fan or if you've got a, a kid or a friend that's into Minecraft and you're kind of feeling in the dark, Spawn Chunks is a pretty easy podcast to listen to and, and get up to speed. Um, it's it's definitely a podcast where we talk baseball. Like we, we, we talk about the game and don't really, we're not going to over explain it to everyone as if right, they're a yeah, brand new player. Um, but it's it's family friendly. We don't talk down to kids. Like it's it's accessible to everyone. Um, we've had a number of parents write in to say, Hey, my kid has gotten older and they're now into Minecraft and I was lost with a capital L, but I found your podcast and now I feel like I can converse with them. And like, I, at least when they're at the table talking about this thing at nauseum, I know what they're talking about, <laughs> you know? So when yeah. they say, ah, oh, this creeper came in and blew up my stuff, they're like, I know what that is, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I, and I think that's, it's really cool. Um, so, uh, as much as it is a, a niche video game, um, I say that, and there's a lot of people in the world that play it. It's oh, most, it's not, I don't yeah. feel like it's niche. It's almost, um, I feel like Minecraft is overtaken. Well, at least in my uh, imagination, um, that sort of pop culture, like, uh, tent pole that when I was, I guess, early college, I guess you would have been out of university for sure for, um, world of Warcraft for a long time. It was so much in the zeitgeist that like, yeah even people who didn't know an MMO would be like, oh, you're playing a video game. Are you playing World of Warcraft? 
no, it's Mario. But okay, that's the one game you know. And I think nowadays it's sort of that with Minecraft because I feel like everything is like, I'm sure some people who have no idea what, what video games their kids are playing are like, are they playing Minecraft or Fortnite or mm-hmm. what? And it's like, yep. no, it's it's like whatever, you know. But I think those are the big, those are essentially, I know for, I have a nephew that essentially is deep into Minecraft. And I think it's it's just an excellent game from my understanding of just, you know, it casual to more intense to it has a lot of good levels to it. So I would definitely say it's definitely not as niche um in the broad spectrum of things. Um I yeah. Especially I think, since yeah. you see the toys now. <laughs> There's like toys in yeah. the aisle now and I'm like, oh wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that it's, there's um there's even Minecraft Lego, like Lego sets, yeah. which is very fitting. And in Smash uh, Brothers, Smash Brothers, they got Smash Brothers characters. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the crossover. Yeah, there's been they've expanded quite a, quite a lot. Um, I think the, for, by niche, I might have even just be I might be falling into that trap. It's like um, like you said, when someone assumes a video game and World of Warcraft back in the, in the day, I feel like it's like. If someone says their kid is playing a video game, they assume Minecraft. If someone says a yeah. college kid is playing a video game, they assume a first-person shooter right now. Like they'll assume, right, yeah. you know, Call of Duty or some yeah. other, you know, uh, Apex or some something, right? Um, and I think that's kind of where, um, for whatever reason, Minecraft just kind of like, it doesn't fly under the radar. It's very popular and people know it. But you hear a lot about Fortnite and you hear a lot about Call of Duty and from downloads and installs, Minecraft dwarfs both of them. Like it's just, it's crazy internationally yeah. how accessible Minecraft is. And um, it's actually one of the cool things that they added in the update. And I'll move on after I mention this, but um, they added mud bricks. And the idea behind it was that there's an entire, you know, population of people outside of North America and Europe that play Minecraft. And they don't necessarily have building blocks in the game that represent the kind of buildings that they walk by all the time. Uh, uh, and, and I don't mean, it's not to say like mud hut, but like bricks, something that we see a lot in, you know, Europe and, and North America, they're just different kinds of bricks in other parts of the world. And, you know, modern buildings just made it a different stuff. And so the mission or the the idea behind adding these things was bringing in materials that people see around the world so that they can build the kind of communities that they walk around in. And I just thought it was a kind hey. of, a, it's a cool statement. You know, like Minecraft is always doing something about, you know, inclusivity. Uh, the environment is a big deal. Um, they 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 lace their, you know, um, the game updates with like some Im- important kind of theories from, you know, a, a game design perspective to try to include as many people into the fold as possible, which is why I think that so many people can identify with it and 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 get sucked into it. But anyway... More on that at thespongedunks.com. And uh, I also, I mean, I stream a few days a week, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I've been splitting that up between um, Satisfactory and Minecraft because Satisfactory is getting an update in about a week. And so I've been brushing up on that. But um, if folks want to know uh, or folks that are listening are curious about it, like Popeye's stream, I'm happy to talk about Minecraft when I'm there. Uh, and that way you can ask like direct questions and stuff like that. It's always kind of fun to have you know, new people come by and see what it's all about. Moving on to what we've been watching. Uh, this is going to be full of spoilers. There's no way to talk about this show without spoiling it. I did hint at it last week uh, and let people know that I was watching and that hopefully uh, I was going to be able to finish it. 
And that is Midnight Mass on Netflix. It's an original supernatural horror mini series. So it's not a not an ongoing series. It's seven episodes and it's done. Uh, yep. And it is uh, in the vein uh, and from the same creators as uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor, uh, Haunting of Hill House, I think was the first one from this yep. creator. Uh, yep. And so plan uh, again, I believe. Yes. Thank you. And people are going to have to forgive my lack of quotes and names. And I'm going to be looking up actors uh, names on the fly because I finished this 10 minutes before Brockett and I sat down to record. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was up. I don't have all of them either. I yeah. think I just have uh, Gal or um, Zach Guilford's name. Also. Yeah. 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 So I forget it, his wife's name too. That's in everything too. But. Oh, is she? Um, yeah, but yeah, like it just, it's, it's going to be difficult to talk about this without spoiling it. And, uh, I will say I liked it. And if people are into this kind of thing, uh, supernatural horror, uh, I would say, check it out. Like it's, I'm surprised because I did not like the haunting of Bly Manor at all. So, uh, very surprised that I liked this as much as I did. Uh, but again, spoiler warning. Um, also, the show deals really heavily with religion. Uh, Brock and I and are not. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. Just just bigger the theories of stuff. But primarily, yes, it's it's centralized around a Monsignor of a Catholic church. So there yeah. Will be some religious. Yeah. Uh, overtone. Yeah. So I just kind of want to let people know. I know that's not necessarily what you expect when you come into the Sigil Cafe, but because it's like this horror sci-fi religious commentary crossover, there's not going to be a way to talk about the show without mentioning, you know, where it's set, the kind of messages that it sends and uh, the type of characters, the archetypes that are in the show. Um, so if that's something that is not interesting to you or something that is going to be, you know, you might find, um, not your cup of tea, then eh, just join us next week. Uh, you know, I just, I want to put that out there cause I don't want to ruffle feathers where they don't need to be ruffled. Um, yeah. Well, but unlike what the show does within their own community, <laughs> which is constantly absolutely agitating each other. So, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Oh my I, goodness. Where do you want to start? I, I feel like this is one of those few shows where like, Every time I think about it and where we're going to start, I start at a different spot. So it's like, okay, calm yourself down. Because, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I'll let you, you just finished it. So maybe yeah. it's best for you to start where you feel pulled to. I Well, I will say this. Maybe we should start with more of the positive stuff. Because I think we both had some issues with it and maybe even some mm. um, negative points. But um, just from a positive standpoint, um, you just finished it. What, what really at the end were you most drawn into? Cause you just, re you just recommended it. And I thought you were going to be like pass guys. So what, what is it that's making you recommend it now? I think it's the, the way that it affected me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a feel good show. I mean, it's a horror no. show, No, no. Uh, but, it, and this is the show that I was uh, alluding to that I had a hard time finishing the first episode. Like it took me three sit downs after pausing my phone, you know, and checking my phone lost an hour. And then it's like, well, I'm not, I'm going to bed now. I'm not going to finish this. And uh, it wasn't until they sucked me in with the, I call it the whodunit or the, what is it, you know, yeah. uh, tag, which is um, you get the feeling that something wonky is going on. Uh, and me having a keen eye, you pick up on a few things like, young actors in old prosthetic makeup well yeah it was also i mean i don't want to besmirch anything i don't know if it's just the quality of graphics now with streaming and i again i don't want to be besmirch any makeup departments that have a theater background but somehow some of the people i was like "Ooh, 
I just don't feel like that old age makeup is very good. Like, I just, I think they're like youth, not, they're not young kids, but some of the people are actors are middle-aged instead of old elder. Mm-hmm. And it just like shines through, even though you, I, yeah, I mean, some of them you recognize, so you're going to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry James, who plays, um, well, the main character, Riley's father, who is in all the hauntings. Mike Flanagan uses him a lot along with his wife, who plays the school teacher, the pregnant school teacher. Um, anyway, but Henry James, I was like, oh, it's old Elliot now made to look even older than he is. Like, it was just weird. That was a little strange. But I, I see what you mean. I, I felt the same way. Yeah. So I caught that right away. And actually, I was, it was one of those weird reveals where um, Mildred Gutting, who uh, is the an old lady that's like suffering from Alzheimer's and her oh, daughter yeah. is like 40 or something like that, give or take. And the, and the, the town physician and as that character is affected by what's going on and, and and becomes younger it wasn't until they fully revealed what she looks like that i realized what i was picking up on um in seeing her in the old makeup and i mean some of it is like you know as good as the acting is in this show and i mean some of it is phenomenal i agree uh, there's just something about when young people act old where they kind of like they shake their voice and they shake their hands and they kind of overdo it and they kind of oversell it. Yeah. And it really yeah. doesn't work. Uh, and I I realized, of course, what I was picking up on was just like, I mean, Alex Esso, who plays Mildred, is stunning. And I don't think you could even cover that up with the makeup. <laughs> like I just, I, yeah. I didn't look at it and go, that is a really attractive woman. I just, there was something that wasn't sitting right with me. And it wasn't until they got to the end that I realized that it's like when you look at uh, an old man or an older woman and you realize that they're still like, they're, they still have an appeal and you think like, man, if I was to see a picture of this person in their twenties, I bet you they were just very good looking because they've either aged well or whatever. And I just, I got that feeling when I first saw the character in, in makeup combined with like the acting of not being the best old person. Um, <laughs> it just, it was a little bit, it was a little bit much, but they, the, the ideas that they, they present in terms of the grip in the audience, uh, I think it's the end of the first episode where, or at least partway through, there's a lot of stray cats on this Island. I guess we should set up that it's, it's set on an Island where, um, it's a very small community accessible only by boat 30 miles off the shore. And there's a bunch of stray cats, you know, in, in the North of the Island or the West of the Island. The narrow, yeah. yeah, it's yeah like, the, I, I think it's like a cliff part of the Island yeah. that has a flow of water that flows from the top of it down yeah. to different part of the beach. Yeah. So, uh, the, I mean, the cats are being eaten by something, uh, and you yeah. get a glimpse of it. Like you see, you know, um, a cat and it just kind of goes Meow, and it disappears and you're just, and then you hear like a crunch and you're like, okay. So as the, the show starts off really sad and really hard to watch, and then it gives you this supernatural twist and you're like, okay, well, I wasn't really enjoying that until the last five minutes. And now I kind of want to know what that thing was. Cause then the sci-fi right. geek in me is just like, okay, well, is it a monster like aliens? Like, is it a demon? Like what, like, what are we dealing with here? And then by the end of the second, ep- well, so the, at the end of the first episode, there's a big storm and all the cats end up being lined up along the beach. Yeah. And they're I, like washed. Yeah. Sh- yeah. And I don't understand the purpose of this. Like, I don't understand because it looks like they're placed there. 
And I agree. In retrospect, now that we finished it, didn't you get the sense that that was like, oh, did somebody did this? Versus yeah. like, now I'm like, well, were they going for the idea that they all washed ashore? Like, they were dying by mysterious means up at a cliff and the storm washed everything because they keep talking over again everything washes up at the narrows i'm like all right i get it i understand that you're trying to set that up but when they did wash up it was a little too it was a little too specific the the almost semicircle ring on the beach they were so i was i agree and i think in retrospect it was supposed to be more incidental than intentional but i and so that's one of my small minor complaints is like i'm not entirely sure what the intention was um and presenting it that way yeah i think it was basically to get people to click next i I, I think it was a device in the story to just kind of like get people to turn the page Uh, which it worked yeah it's a it's again it's a minor thing like there are going to be other things that we discussed that are far more frustrating and i have more like excuse me sir but i have a question mm. about that than the cats lined up on the beach but it is yeah. something that once you go back and you rewatch or you discuss it you're like oh hey that kind of is kind of weird yeah. that they did it like that but yeah that was a very it's it is a very good visual pull though like you yeah say. and same and same with the idea that um there's this strange little mystery of the Monsignor supposed to be coming back to the island. He doesn't show up in the ferry when he should. The person that's supposed to pick him up is absolutely positive that they should have. Uh, and it's also your introduction to Bev Keen. Um, oh boy. Oh yeah. No. And, and so you, you're sucked in by like, Oh God, like, do I have to like, I, I you immediately recognize the archetype. She's the, community church busybody. you know she's not the leader but she sees herself as second in command and uh if you've at all grown up in any kind of church community or a uh, small community there's always one and and i i immediately recognized the the archetype and i mean yeah. it drives me nuts makes my my skin crawl really but i and i'll say this right now to samantha sloyan who plays bev keen holy crap like the entire series you want to throw this woman from a moving train oh she yeah she doesn't miss a beat she is just zeroed in on what she is supposed to do as a character in this series yeah. and she yeah. nails it and like i and- think she does a good job too i don't think she's overly I also think what's most frustrating about her in a good writing way of like you actually really and truly can hate, if not her entirely, a lot of elements of her. Mm. Um, And I think what she does best is like she does it in a way that's like, so Umbridge from the Harry Potter series is almost over the top, like sickly sweet, blah, 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 blah. But it's more of a caricature. Whereas like Bev Keen is just on that line where you're like, oh, this is actually quite believable that somebody would say and do all these things in this manner not like a hee 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 or a caricature or over the top yeah so like she does such a great job you legitimately are like you feel like an honest to god awful human being because of how not necessarily what you believe but how you approach other humans about what you believe and inputting your choices whether it's about how you act in the community like she like uh, t- t- as a case in point the months the new monsignor who comes in 
comes in and one of the first things she says to him after his first sermon is he was wearing the wrong robes. And like, you're like, wow, that's some bold audacity. Not like in a bad way, but she was like, I just wanted to point out these were the wrong ones and this is what you should be wearing. And it's like those type, that's just a type of person that's like, believe this, this is how it is. And that's how it is. And I will tell you how it is. And maybe you should also think that's how it is. And that sort of no leeway for somebody else's beliefs or opinion is a type of like menacing villainy that like I think most people when they watch it in a TV show, honest to God, might be so angry they don't finish it. I've had those moments yep. of some series where I'm like, it happened in Game of Thrones, I thought a lot, where some of the most viciously manipulative people weren't like swinging swords. They were just awful at choices that would hurt other people mm. and i always want their upcompance to be as miserable <laughs> as they've made me feel throughout the series so once we get more towards the finale um we can talk more about some conclusions for those people but yeah she definitely she definitely makes the hairs on the back of your head poke up either from just like bristled like oh i just you just set me on edge i do not like what you're doing yeah yeah, she she definitely grates on you. And I think, like you said, she's relatable in that you've seen that aspects of her and other people. And I think that's what I find so interesting about the show is that they have some very sad, very specific characters. They have some very uh, devote, very specific characters. And the way that they verbalize it and the way that they communicate it to the viewer even though these are all fictional characters, you very often have either met someone or heard of someone or or remember people from your past that are like this. And and I, I think that's one of the reasons why the, the, the show works as a horror film. And the thing that I realized, and I want to say I was probably around episode, I think it was around episode five or six when I made the comparison. And... A lot of it had to do with with Bev Keen, but a lot of it also had to do with uh, Monsignor Pruitt, and it was it reminded me of Ex Machina, uh, another horror film. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's because of the subtleties later on where they don't explain it word for word. They don't see they they don't show you Monsignor Pruitt revealing the big secret of everything that's going on to Bev Keen. They just reveal that Bev Keen knows the the yeah. conversation and, and that we'll call it a conversion um, happens off camera. And the, mm-hmm. the intelligence of the writing there is where the show gained a lot of respect for me, but also in a, in akin to, in the, in the same way that when I first started walk, watching walking dead, which I eventually fell off of one of the scariest not scariest. One of the most uneasy things about that show was when a zombie would 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 get somebody and and start to eat them, and they wouldn't show it. They would just give you the sound effects, and and show some like rustling, you know, some 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 yeah. action off camera, and you'd be left with your imagination as to what the zombie is doing. And that right. I feel is is very similar here, but it's not the physical, the physical graphic stuff when people start dying. They show you it. And it's not like overly gory. It's not over the top gore. It's just, you know, scary in that people are getting eaten and they're being held down and they're screaming and stuff like that. And it's kind of typical. It actually has this really nice balance between a psychological thriller, a religious commentary, 
and an 80s horror movie. Like it has, there's a moment the of, end, yeah, yeah the there's end. this moment of chasing people around and screaming and like the, the, the Jamie Lee Curtis over the top, like just wailing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, yeah, I there, will say the, the, it's a slow burn. So there's a brief shot in, I think the first episode and one of Riley, the, I, I will call him the main character. Well, we're in spoilers, even though it was, interesting that as the main character he's exits the series by by episode five yeah so he's not part of the conclusion he's definitely an important part of the story but um it then gets handed over slash passed on to um the main teacher miss green i believe yeah um but anyway what i thought was in sort of one of his dream vision things you have uh there's a shot of the inside of the church with like blood stains on the walls like somebody climbing at the walls so that was a quick little thing i was like is he seeing the future or is that just a weird thematic thing and i think it was just more thematic but um but that was a part where i was like okay there's the (laughs) there will be blood in this series and so i think yeah like you're saying it it does a good job of like sinister setup mid-tier sort of these big reveals like you know some very unsettling things and then by the end you know all hell has broken loose to some degree um and the most I think you alluded to this before. Um, the most graphic death, in my opinion, of the whole series is the dog. Again, Beth yep. King special. Mm-hmm. That was honestly quite hard to watch. Yeah, and I understand that that was part of the reason why. And given where these these MacGuffin poison cans eventually take us, okay, I get it. You're kind of showing that a bit. Um, but it was. I don't know. I feel like most people will say you can watch a billion humans get murdered on Game of Thrones, but kill one dog. And I am, uh, I am mad. I am sad. I am mm-hmm. feeling everything. So it was a, probably a pretty good choice um, for Mike Flanagan to be like, I'm going to kill a dog in a horrific way. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was rough. Um, just really rough. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really, I felt like there was a lot of stuff that was meant to make you feel uneasy. And that was one of those things where I'm just like, wow, like I there's, you know, that's why when I mentioned the show last week, I gave that kind of like giant warning at the top for people that might be looking to check it out. Like, look, if you are an animal lover, like if you have a dog, um, like I don't, and this made me really uncomfortable. I can only imagine people that actually have animals, um, that which it would be very uncomfortable. And, and I think that again, like it's movie, magic like there's they didn't really kill a dog you know <laughs> right uh right, exactly. but, but it's just it's so realistic looking and again sold by you know uh joe's performance i don't remember his i don't remember his real name is that uh i don't have him on imdb right in front of me but the the actor that plays joe is also very good um mm-hmm. and and uh his you know he's it's his dog that dies and he loses his mind uh, in a very kind of like snot flying, like absolute despair kind of way. Uh, and, and it, it just, it, it hammers that home. And w- what I find so interesting about, um, the way that they pace the show is like, there, there really feels like there's three acts to it. Like there is the, the drama, the slow hitting buildup drama to it. Then there is, um, the, monster movie twist where at the end of the second episode the drug dealer gets eaten or grabbed by something that's obviously got like twinkly eyes in the dark it's got wings at least that's what you sort of see when it happens yeah and so you think okay this is really really out there 
Well, there's a sweeping shot too over the city that's shown as if something's on wings and it crashes into that abandoned building. Yeah. And then you eventually are like, oh yeah, the the guy Bozo's walking home. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there are some tropes, you know, like when he walks into, you know, like someone like whispers his name back to him or something like that. And then Yeah. Um or he's not his name. He says something and then they they say it back. It parrots, yeah. Yeah, and then it, he goes in and and uh, you're just kind of like, what? No, no one would do that. No one would go into the dark. <laughs> you know, like, are you like, that dumb? It's but it's again, it's a horror movie trope. Um, yeah. But I, I when they when they get into the middle of it and you really start to see the the effects. I think it's the first thing that happens. I believe that the little girl uh, Lisa. I think she walks as a miracle. She stands up and walks as a miracle in this little community. And that yeah. starts to one, you start to get rewarded for, for hanging out for, for two or three episodes through this stuff. But then after that, um, you see a flashback with Monsignor where he um, in, in a flashback, it is explained to you what happened uh, and why and who he is and all this kind of stuff. Uh, which again, yeah, I, I guess, revelation. At, yeah, I guess at that point you don't know that he is the Monsignor. So the Monsignor is an elderly, elderly leader of the church in the community, and he goes away uh, on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and um, wanders from his tour group. Uh, goes through a sandstorm. A little storm. melodramatic. Yeah, a little like, it's how a, the hell did nobody like notice a dude just wanders off and suddenly he's in the desert? But yes, yeah. the story that he presents is very gripping. But again, you go back and you piece it apart. You're like. A, this tour group is getting an F. They've lost yeah. an elderly person. B, why are they in the deepest parts of the desert that if like somehow a sandstorm happens, you could literally be lost forever? Like whatever. Yeah. But sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. Like, they just, as and, you're saying it out loud, you're like, wait. wait yeah. No, it's again, just, you're watching this because you want to know what's going on. But then as they reveal what's going on, I really feel like they give you that too early. Like I, you know, because basically what they reveal yeah. is that the sandstorms have been ripping up the sand and because of the more extreme storms that we've been having all over the planet, you know, hashtag global warming, blah, 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 which again, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that they, they throw it in there as an afterthought and it's an odd, it's an odd tag when really they don't comment on the environment at all in this show in any other place. Right. Um, but they say that it unearths these different places. So to shelter from the storm, Monsignor, who is, old and somehow has survived and has enough energy to walk this far goes into a cave or what he think is a cave and it turns out to be some sort of tomb where there is essentially a vampire it's it's a creature the moment it, though was quite unnerving the moment he enters the cave with this stupid little matches i was like okay i get it i know what you're about to do and i'm you're getting me like it's quite like the glowing eyes in the dark that was a moment where my hair just shot up i was like Oh, F you, man. You nailed this. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so annoying. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the, but the thing that I find disappointing about it was, I mean, he gets he gets eaten by the vampire. The vampire then cuts its own wrist and feeds him the blood. We've all seen this before in every vampire movie we've ever seen. Uh, and then he becomes young again. He wakes up the next morning and he's now at the prime of his youth. Um, I don't know why he stops at, you know, his mid to late 30s. Uh, they something later in the thing of like you will hit you age to like your best, best self, self but or like something. somehow the kids in the community's best self is still the oldest they've ever been and i'm like i think you might just super age up to your prime but whatever again yeah. small small detail it could it could be something that happens over time but that's time we're not going to get 
Uh, right. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think that, you know, the, the way that they, the way that they present it and the way that they show that the, you know, the process goes forward. And as you learn more about this creature that Monsignor Pruitt then bribes customs people and they just kind of give you it in dialogue, not because if they over explain it, you're just like, well, that would never happen. Um, <laughs> you know, so he gets it back to this community. And so there's this vampire creature flying around, but unlike any other vampire you know mystery or show we've ever seen it doesn't speak it's a creature it's not a it's not a a, a movie monster it's not dracula you know it doesn't have a human yeah, it's form it's not a hand ringing thing no it's it's, it's yeah. yeah it's it's just it's an animal i guess for lack of a term but then it acts like it acts like a person in terms of that it walks around it can parrot people it looks like it has a it's a humanoid form mm-hmm. um but it just like they, when they explain that all, you you think, okay, well, that's fine. I guess I'm disappointed that it's not a little something deeper. Um, but as they move through the other parts of the story, like in the mid section around like episodes four, five, six, they are very clear about what happens. What's the process of of dying, getting the blood, coming back to life, requiring more blood, getting this hunger. Like they, they create this kind of like mix of like vampire mythos and zombie, you know, apocalypse mythos and they smash them both together. And then you're like, well, that's fine. And I guess, cause you can't die. That explains why this thing was alive in a tomb with no access to blood for Lord knows how long, like just if you start to, if you go back and think about where it came from, you're just like, but that doesn't make any sense. Like if this thing is insatiable and has to feed all the time, what was it doing for thousands of years we like they don't know uh yeah. how long this thing was entombed so th- there's a lot there that i feel uh, um your brain goes there quickly and goes okay well that doesn't make any sense i guess i'm just along for i mean at that point you're like well i'm on episode four of seven i'm gonna see this through like i'm gonna watch the right. rest of it and the things that they they got right i think with me was um having grown up in a in a Roman Catholic community, they, they really, um, they hit the, the notes, very specific term with the music and the hymns. Oh yeah. And they, uh, they make it kind of this combination of like nostalgia because like growing up, going to church, I remember all of them, but then they combine with the music, the tone in which they're sung, that imagery that goes by on screen of like sad people or people just being pensive and alone or sitting in a boat by themselves while the music plays. Like they really make it feel just melancholy and hopeless. And Mm -hmm. it, it, it really, I think it does a good job of making you feel for Riley Flynn, Aaron green, uh, for Sharif Hassan. Um, I think they do a really good job of painting you the tramp. And mm-hmm. I, I tip my hat to it because it's subtle. It's not a monologue. It's, you know, we're not watching arrow <laughs> they're not going to say six times in 45 minutes. We have to stop the bad guy when that's yeah. the point of the whole fucking show. Um, yeah. whereas this, you, you get to see, uh, you I mean, you know, the monster is bad. The monster eats people. So sure. Like bad, get it. But then you get to see the twisted evil that happens when members of this community are exposed to 
murder, people on the island disappearing, uh, the reveal to some of them, because uh, Monsignor Pruitt has either posted or it's always been there, and it's not until someone actually looks at it that they realize there's a picture of the parish opening with from a news article that has a, a photo of Monsignor Pruitt back then standing in front of it. And of course, he's the spinning image of the man that calls himself Paul that's standing in front of them now as the Monsignor's replacement. So they, you know, some people start to realize that Monsignor Pruitt and Paul are the same person. And right. and again, they don't show you that revelation. They don't show you the character doing the great big gasp or confronting him because they'd have to show that over and over and over again. But what I find so so interesting about the way that they reveal the other villains in the cast is they just how they react to dramatic stuff you know like when they show you the cats and the mayor is trying to explain as you mentioned earlier that there's current and everything washes up and we've always had stuff wash up remember the oil spill remember that remember the ducks like all that kind of thing and the way that he explains away the death of joe who you like as a character you know he's done some awful stuff, but he's had some serious shit happen to him in just the course of these episodes. And he's doing what he can to try to get back on track. And right. when he is killed accidentally, but then they decide to cover it up and and roll him up into a carpet. And when the mayor, and I think it's, I can't remember his name. He's got a big red beard, but he's also like yeah, a... Yeah, it's like I, or It's like yeah. a weird... They call him by his last... Sturge. Sturge, Sturge. Uh, uh, played by Matt Bedell. Um, he's kind of like a henchman. He's just a big dude. They, 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 they need people to move stuff around to be able to do a task. And he's usually yeah. the one called on. But uh, and he, So he's probably you know familiar with the church. He probably does a lot of maintenance, like that kind of guy. Uh, and I'm just realizing now that he looks like groundskeeper Willie. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, the way that they react, like without, they honestly barely even say anything i don't even think the mayor gets a sentence out but he just does what bev keen says and you're yeah, just like he barely protests and it's more of like a reaction to just seeing a dead body versus a reaction to the choices they're going to make mm -hmm. and i think you have you hit it correctly of like there is a real circumstance where um these characters are you're like okay your natural reaction to this choice should be revolt you should be revolted but these people are like well and then that kind of well dot 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 is like oh no you yeah. really are considering this and now you've actually moved on with it and that happens so much in this small community and it it, it happened you know stephen king horror writers it's anything Anytime you want to be, write something about a very small community, what you basically want to do is you want to set up a few people in it or outsiders coming to it that are going to be fighting against the whole community. And that's a trope that's just that's in this. But I think what's interesting about it, like you're saying, is it's really like a bunch of sleepy, sad people and they just needed a spark. And in this case, uh, making no judgments or whatever, they turn to this very charismatic uh, Monsignor and the church because they're looking for something that's going to elevate their life, whatever it is that's bringing them down for the mayor and their wife and their child. It's uh, the health concerns with the child and, and the life they have. 
how that's going to be elevated for Beth Keen. It's about more prestige and all this stuff for somebody like Sturge, who's just basically used by Bev Keen in parts of the community as this groundskeeper Willie type. It's an elevated bit of status, I'm sure, because he has more importance now because he's in on the circumstances that are evolving. And I think it really shows, to me, the thing that drew me in the most was, and I don't have the actor's name, so if, if you have it, that would be great. But um, but if not, uh, Monsignor Pruitt, he, the actor who plays him, the charisma and sort of levels that he presents are fantastic, I thought. Like I, when you mentioned how you were first starting the show, he has these moments where he like reacts to things in a slightly like precognitive way. And what you realize later is like, well, it's because he's known these people his whole life. So of course, like he knows these type, this person, cause he saw them as a kid. So even though he's quote unquote, a stranger, of course he's, he kind of like has insight to this person because he's known them. So like he plays that really well. He plays these speeches that he's given that are both religious and just in general so well and so engaging that you can truly see how a community could be like well he's for some of them our religious leader he's really saying some stuff that's going to make me feel better about my miserable life in the crock pot and at the same time like as it evolves he's now promising and the, and we should say the reason it's called midnight mass is all these events are slowly culminating on easter and you know the one of the most prominent um things in the catholic church is a midnight mass uh and whatnot and so eventually gets to that point which is a smart tie-in with vampires because eventually monsignor pruitt and can't be out in the sunlight so of course as the church goes to a night church it kind of makes more sense mm -hmm. um uh which i also thought like you say they do a good job of explaining without explaining like his small stuff of like him realizing him playing with his hand in the sunlight it wasn't like him running around and being like oh god i can't go out in the sun it's like oh well, that's unfortunate. Um, the moment of like, I thought with with um, with Riley and just him like, Pruitt and him having the AA conversations and stuff. There's just moments you're like, because you kind of enter a little bit with Riley, even though the circumstances of Riley are definitely something, uh, you know. Hopefully, um, we we can't identify with the full volume of what he's experienced, but as as somebody who just has dealt with severe trauma um you and you're coming back to this community uh he's somebody you can gravitate towards and zach guilford does a good job at that and the balance between him and pruitt and some of those scenes are just so good and you mm. can kind of see how even zach guilford in these moments with the aa meetings with him you know he's like he's distanced himself from the church since he grew up on this island in the church um but he still is like oh, okay so he you can see he's leaning into Pruitt because of um, how convincing and, and, and earnest he is. And so when these events are culminating where there's just like, it's not a, uh, it, there are big massive forks in the road where people are choosing one side or the other, but the way it's presented is just all you need is that hesitation of, I know right and wrong, or I know what probably is not the right thing, but I'm pausing. And that gray area is where somebody who is as charismatic and or people are as desperate as they are will tend to hover. And it just takes that little bit. And then soon, eventually, you kind of have this mass mind of 
the stronger leaders, Bev Keen, the mayor, kind of pushing the rest of the community towards these other conclusions. And that is a commentary that I think horror-wise, as we've discussed, the big bad, the well, not the big bad. I mean, the vampire is the big bad, but really in the end, I think Bev Keen's the big bad or what she represents, um, her single-mindedness. But um, what's interesting is like, you know, Pruitt, this vampire, and then the culmination of these, of the community and their choices. It's like, yeah, it, these things are just kind of dominoing in a certain point where by the end, you're like, you know, it wasn't a simple story. You couldn't just say, you know, point A, vampire shows up in town, point B, chaos. <laughs> but what's interesting is if you look at the structure of the story, it sort of has a, a line like that, but all these other trappings around it are um, so important. Um, the choices these people are making around these circumstances, the characters you're seeing and how they're presenting their feelings, their hopes, their lives, um, and everything is is really interesting. Um, I uh, We can talk a little bit more. I didn't want to go too far because we have, I, I just wanted to make sure to hit Riley and, and, and Aaron Green for the core of our hero set, even though we do have the sheriff and the doctor who end up kind of being part of this super group, I guess, a little bit by the end. Um, but I think some of the best moments of a lot of the Mike Flanagan stuff, whether it's Hill House or Bly Manor, and then this, his moments where he just uh, will just give a character like a monologue, and what you don't read, well, in my case, um, sometimes is you don't realize is like, by the time you've watched maybe like four straight minutes of one person talking, you're not like looking at your watch if it's good and it's been very good for me. And there's a lot of it in this. Like if you're somebody who just at some point just needs like bang, bang dialogue, get to the action. This is definitely a series that's probably not going to speak to you at all. Um, but, but I think it's episode four maybe. And there's the extended monologues, both by Riley and Aaron green about their thoughts about death mm -hmm. that yep. are so gripping. And of course, you know, that comes back in the play later um with Aaron again but um those moments stuck with me so much that I felt compelled to talk a little bit about some content of it to Laura who's not watching it and that's sort of a testament to the writing and the acting that a monologue or this these two monologues in this case of that takes about 15 minutes are just so so impressive um that it's like I keep revisiting those in my head that's where I realized that the creator of the show and the writers of the show had more to say than just this, you know, this religion bad, right? Like that's, yeah, they're, sure. they're pointing at, at the faults in the community and they're hanging that on in some ways, depending on who you're talking to in the community, um, the, their religious beliefs or their, what sort of we're looking for it's it's not that they it's not that their beliefs are wrong it's the fact that they use those beliefs as an excuse to hang decisions on right like that's yeah. that's the comment yeah. from that's the comment from from the show creator that i'm putting right. away is yeah. this is like yeah. it's the the scary thing about the show and this is the thing it stopped being a horror show for me and started to be disturbing uh in, in a way that Correct. Yeah. You're watching you're watching people that are 
modern adults that have cell phones and yes it's a backwards little community but like these are it's 2021 for all the you know intensive purposes it's not like it's uh pulled out of time we're not watching a period piece about the 1400s you know in a monster in the woods uh and the fact that they can make these decisions in a world where the news exists cell phones exists the internet exists and they're saying oh yeah but this is fine because and then they you know give a religious excuse and that's the point where i'm just like wow like that that's that's hanging a lot on that but when they get to those monologues from from flynn and, and green on on the couch uh in i think it's episode four um they there's a lot of hope there like there's a lot of uh on both sides because um riley flynn is an atheist uh in in the show um right. having been an altar boy having spent four years in jail uh he had a lot to reflect on and he's come out the other side going nope none of it's for me uh and so he explains what he thinks about death and he talks a lot about science and atoms and it kind of makes you think like if you ask neil degrasse tyson what he thinks about what happens when you die it's kind of like the answer you'd expect him to give you know yeah. it gets very um astrophysics talk about stars and dusts and matter and physics and um and, and neurons and stuff um and then when he asks aaron green about what she thinks about dying and she doesn't talk about her she talks about what she thinks her recently i want to say deceased but it's just vanished she was pregnant at the beginning of the series and through the events of um everyone in town changing she then loses the baby but in a way that they can't explain like it just vanishes uh, and they do a good job of explaining it later but at the time all you know is that she's apparently miscarried even though she doesn't remember it and we've never seen it as a viewer so then she talks about not what she would experience what she dies but what she hopes her unborn child experienced and uh i mean trigger warning for anybody that that has dealt with that kind of stuff because there's a there's a like there's a there's hardly a stone in this show unturned like left unturned for anybody that has past trauma um, yeah there's a lot there's a lot you like everything yeah. from animals to miscarriages to religion like there's just there's a lot of targets <laughs> in the show right but yeah. when she gets into it um she has a very spiritual response um but is filled with hope and comfort and that kind of thing i found one line i did find really interesting in that she talked about when my baby's soul passes through all the souls in the atmosphere and went whoa wait what <laughs> in the what now like not yeah. when they get to heaven not when they but when they pass the atmosphere like so the souls and the satellites are kind of all hanging out at the same place <laughs> like it just yeah, it, yeah exactly. it, it felt very odd it was an odd line it, I, it it pulled me right out of it for a minute it's like that was an odd thing for her to say like i i would expect that to be something riley had said about his his particles or the energy in his body escaping the atmosphere right. and going into space not not from her um so yeah, like there was stuff like that that I thought was really, really good about it. And it's really interesting how they made some some visual nods to that later on as members of the community start to turn into vampires later. Or I guess what we call vampires. I'm not exactly sure how they want to how you want to explain it, because they don't have any kind of physical change. It's um, interesting because it there's no teeth that come to them, but I guess what's established is the blood that you drink through the sacrament because it's coming from the main vampire that we find out that Pruitt's dosing everybody with who's come to this. Right. In the chalice. And, yeah. In, in, yeah. So, so basically it's, it's kind of their way of saying the people that are practicing the religion are going to survive this 
this right. change because they've been unknowingly consuming blood from this vampire that he's been spiking the, the chalice with right. every Sunday. And then if they die, die while having consumed this, they'll come back as almost full-fledged vampires that we know of where they see spectrums of light better, they hear heartbeats, they need only blood, and that's where it all really devolves. But that was a part of it that I was really confused by with Pruitt's original death um, and then resurrection and then the sunlight. I was like, oh, I guess that's where we're going. And, you know, Riley's evolution into that um man the beat of him coming back you know it's coming it's foreshadowed but um but there's still just a moment where you're like oh man don't go or like have like a deus ex machina but no and then the like that episode ends with like pruitt shutting the door on your on at my at the time for me my favorite character in this incredibly dire lethal situation you're like well I don't know how I feel. It's like Eddard Stark. You're like, yep. oh, I don't know how to feel about the rest of the series. Like, what am I going to grab onto? And I think they did a good job because the next episode eventually with his disappearance and then him coming back and the explanation of some of those things um, was handled really well. And again, extremely emotionally <laughs> sad um, to some degree in all the sadness of some of this, there is that glimmer of, the content that they're discussing is very heavy and hard, but some of what they're discussing about their hopes in it or what they believe in it, there are some parts of it where you're like, oh, that does sound nice, you know, or there, that is that is something that I, I would hope for myself or someone else. And so that they do, a, I think, in some of those moments, a, a good job of balancing it. Um, so it's not entirely like, oof, boy, Angela's ashes. Uh, and then go watch like, four hours of cartoons i don't know what to do but um but yeah it's it is quite interesting that a major well i mean it's it's a church based story to some degree and definitely religion plays a major part in the motivations of some of the characters but it is interesting that okay slow burn horror thing with vampires you think okay it's gonna be a catch them all run away and at the end there is elements of that but the real horror, of, like you were discussing, is almost the disturbing choices and the way the community devolves and people like Bev Keen and her influence uh, and and that sort of thing. And that's what's really crushing, I think. Um, if I could just discuss the finale, I think, I don't know. I, in, I will say when I finished it, it felt hollow. Mostly, I think, probably because some of the people I cared most about had some of the saddest things occur to them. Mm. Uh, and so by the very end, the quote-unquote survivors of this chaos, I did not care. I didn't really care. I particularly did not care about his younger brother. Uh, no. They did not build that character up enough for me to give one squad about. The girl, of course, obviously, she had a major journey throughout the story. So that that had a lot of ringing of okay she deserves it but like it was brutal even to have and I, it's always a gut check for me in any series where characters are basically like yep we're not gonna make it out of this but we're gonna do what we need to do that's gonna help other people and that's always gonna hit me in the in the parts you know in the and i think we've discussed this like the sort of captain america like lay down on the railroad tracks type of mentality mm -hmm. um so of course that was great but it was such a dire sad story that i still at the end was like cool 
you know, they did the the heroes did some heroic acts, but there's nobody left that I care about. So that was brutal for me just to realize like, oh, man, like Aaron's not there or, you know, sheriff, you know, I give it as soon as the sheriff and his son had their thing. I was like, oh, God, this that's just also brutal. Like it was really hard to find. It's, I'm not looking for a happy ending, but it was hard to find, like, ah, I've let my breath go. Like, the heroes did their job. It was took great sacrifice, but okay, good. Even in the end, I was like, it took a lot of sacrifice, and now I feel like they salted the earth. Like, even the earth left over after the story was, like, so damaged beyond repair. So it, I, I will say I still love the series, I, but it was hard to be like, okay through the events of the story the heroes won in at least a fashion that i am like okay with because it was like oh man everyone's dead and everyone's dead and that's it uh, you know so i don't know I, I you just finished it today so i don't know if you're left with a little bit more of like a, oh okay good or you're left with more dire sort of somberness that i felt with it well i mean i come to it not being a big fan of the horror genre. Uh, yeah. I find that, uh, especially when trying to watch things like Bly Manor last year, uh, I found that kind of just reinforced one of the reasons why I tend to not watch these kind of things is because they'll come up with a cool idea or a slight different twist on something, which is really like, it's all you can ask. I mean, it's a vampire story, or it's a zombie story, or it's a ghost story or whatever. And like, what's the twist? What's the whodunit? And it's for me it's it's less about what it is and more about how they tell that story but uh, with with this i find that the the fact that they just couldn't end it in a solid way in the same way that the ending of bly manor went on for like at least an episode like there was an entire episode yeah. of like the ending just went yeah. on and on and on and there's a yeah. moment there's a moment when like you said like you're supposed to feel like the hero sacrificing themselves has accomplished something and you're right. trying to figure out what that is while you're listening to yet another monologue from Aaron green as she's lying on the grass dying after being attacked yeah. by the vampire thing. And you're like, but I don't need this though. I've already heard this. Now I'm just getting what she said. It's like, we're getting, she told Riley about her onboard kid, but she also told Riley about her, what she wants to have happen when she dies. But they didn't show us that then. They just left that out. And then we get to see it now as to what she's seeing in the moments before she dies. And it really just, it went on forever. And at a certain point, like to, to, your, to your point about like when a, a monologue is gripping and you're listening and you're kind of like sitting there through all of it, like when, when Riley does his, you're definitely listening although it goes on for too long, but with Aaron's, it goes on too long at the end and it's circular. Like she keeps on saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it just, it's mm -hmm. too long. You don't care at that point. Cause like, well, she's dead uh, because they established that when people get attacked by this thing, they don't live. It's not like you get a close brush with it. It's an extremely efficient <laughs> uh, animal or beast to at, at killing and eating people. And you're just like, I, you know, and that's why you get so disillusioned in the middle of the series when Riley walks into the rec center, sees the thing filling up the the decanter with blood, and it just turns around and grabs him. And you're just like, shit, I liked him. 
you know? And I think they do a good job of making his sacrifice worth it. Uh, And I'm glad they don't turn him into a villain. I'm glad he doesn't turn around and become someone that murders people in the village and eats people and just succumb to that. He he's, he's got enough willpower as do his parents, which I thought was an interesting and just end for them as well. Uh, Because you get the sense that they are good people. They, you never feel that they're, um, I don't think that the decisions that they make are ever, they don't lean on their faith as an excuse. They just do their darndest to be honest, hardworking folks and support the community where they can. Uh, they're dealing with the trauma of their son disappointing them. Um, but they, you know, after they get turned, uh, when the whole town is going berserk and, and people that are either being turned or being eaten, it's one of the two. Uh, and they, they resist. They don't succumb to this hunger that is a very visceral. Like it's a painful thing. If, if one of these people that have been exposed to the vampire's blood and they get turned, it's, it's almost like they can't control themselves. And they, uh, they show that, which was an interesting twist I thought as well. And that the vampire, when it's feeding, like you, you can shoot it. doesn't care. You can cut its wings, oh, yeah. which was a terrible, that, that was a terrible, just, I don't believe it could happen. Like, uh, that, that it would sit there for that long and let, you know, just be shredded. Let yeah. their wings be shredded. And the fact that it didn't really matter, it still took off and flew away anyway. Um, yeah. Then they have the throwaway of like, what's well, 30 miles? Who knows? That, that was another part. I was like, did they accomplish anything? Like, I guess you leave that what, open. What was the point of like, lighting it yeah. on fire? Like, does yeah. that not hurt it? Like, there's a lot. There's uh, yeah. a lot. You know, and I mean, and we watch as all of these people uh, drink blood and, and are healed. Pruitt gets shot in the forehead and within hours is walking around and talking with people. And yet the vampire, the most powerful of these monsters has its wings shredded while it's feeding, while it should be rejuvenating and nothing happens. It doesn't fix itself. So I, again, like there's, there's a lot of stuff there that I thought was, was problematic with trying to stick the ending. Um, I think as a viewer, I would have liked to have seen the monster get destroyed somehow. I agree. And I think what they should have done is they should have had Father Paul, they should have had Pruitt be the one to to realize his mistake. And the one the one to undo it should have been the one that started it. And he should have somehow gotten close enough because the the being the first uh turned and being the one that brought this demon back to the the island, I, I think he could have gotten close enough if they have ever figured out how to kill it which no one does. They've tried burning it. They tried shooting it. They tried slicing its wings. And like you said, the only thing we get is like that. Well, it's not going to make it to the mainland. They don't actually show you a conclusion to this thing. Um, and that leads me to, I think the, one of the biggest holes in the entire series is that cell phones, internet, television news, not a single fucking person on this Island has ever seen a vampire story. Like it just, in this particular world, they just don't exist because no one seems to draw this conclusion. Everybody is quite happy in this community. That's, that's, you know, making that decision, like that pause, like you said, where they lean one way and realize that they've been drinking the, they call it the sacrament, but it's this blood of that, uh, of, of the, this, this vampire. 
And no one stops to question when Father Paul calls it an angel. It's got pointy ears and bat wings. Like, yeah. No one. <laughs> no one comes together to say like um don't angels have like i mean if you look at pop culture (laughs) right like angels have got feathers and wings and halos and they look like people and they glow and this thing doesn't even speak it just growls and eats people it's like what so there's a there's a giant leap that even the devote would have to make um and i think the only kind of solace you get are um Annie Flynn and and Ed Flynn, when they find themselves after having being turned, um, Annie actually kills herself uh, to give time for uh, Aaron and uh, I can't remember her name, Sarah, uh, to get away and the sheriff. Um, And when she comes back, she finds her husband and they both confess like, I'm, this is hard. Like I'm hungry. I want to do these things. And it's like, it's possible to resist it. Like if you just, you can have control over it. And they kind of do the thing where they resist that, that thing. They fall on the, on the grenade, so to speak. And they say, well, we're not going to be part of this. We're just going to accept that this is something that has happened to us. And we're just going to stand outside in the sunlight and accept whatever happens. And I don't even know if that point, they knew what was going to happen. Uh, They just kind of, I either assumed or were somehow able to draw the conclusion. And in a way I am glad because they would have had to like, if every character needed to have it explained to you, that means that the viewer would have to watch it over and over again, which would be, you know, condescending. Um, but yeah, like the fact that no one knew what a vampire was and really grew, um, like I was able to realize that this is all bad. Like no one mentions the devil ever <laughs> in this show, yeah. right? Hell, the devil, Lucifer, demons, none of it. No, nothing is mentioned. Um, so yeah, I thought that was odd. That I, I gave it points for, for creating vampires with a conscience, mm-hmm. which I guess we've, I've seen before. It's been a long time um, since I've watched True Blood um on hbo but that that show had some different vampires like you could have vampires that were they still had this thirst but they were generally trying to be good people uh and then you had other vampires that were just egotistical power hungry and just saw humans as insects and food you know compared to um other people uh, other vampires trying to live you know in harmony with them um and so yeah, the like that that combined with the the convoluted run on ending kind of I feel like they could have let it run silent. Um the hymn at the end was moving and sad and what I what I liked about the ending, the community basically ate itself. Like through their decisions, they end up pretty much where they deserve to end up, which is right back where they started with nowhere to go. And, and I think that that is at least poetic and subtle enough that you have to be paying attention to pick up on. Um, and, uh, I know, I know you've got to run. So I think we, we, we want to do ourselves a service and talk about Bev Keen's <laughs> end because yeah. she makes it all the way to the last episode. And there's this really good parallel between what happens to, um, Sharif Hassan and what happens to Bev Keen. Sharif Hassan dies from a gunshot wound from Bev on the beach with his son who has been turned into a vampire before he has to watch his son burn alive in the sun. And I thought that was an excellent way to like 
have them exit like spare sharif that pain and agreed and and just kind of like it sucks it's sad you wanted them to kind of somehow get by and get out but but it it feels like the son apologizing to his father they pray together before they they they're burned up and then bev keen is not too far away in the same sort of position kneeling on the beach waiting for the sunrise and you it, they set it up like she's going to sit there stoically and and just accept her fate and and know in her faith that she will be okay and she doesn't she starts clawing at the sand and trying to bury herself and trying to escape her inevitable death and it is raiders of the lost ark face melting like it they really pay off the viewer for hating her the entire series yeah uh, because she gets what's coming to her and it's not the burning it's the fear at the end when so many of the other characters that you like as nice people they just kind of accept it there's no words there's nothing you know um mr and mrs flynn just kind of are in one another's arms they kiss they cry and they explode in flames and same with uh paul pruitt uh and uh i can't remember uh mildred gunning they're holding their now dead daughter sarah which was an interesting reveal uh and then they burn up silently right whereas bev is screaming uh right. and crying and clawing and it just it really makes you feel good you know at, at the end of it but uh about like that one thing um but yeah like i i feel like it was a good series overall it doesn't necessarily nail the landing it suffers from trying to put too much in at the last minute mm -hmm. like there's there's a few things that could have been much more prominent explored a, a great deal more like the fact that father pruitt and mildred gunning have a daughter <laughs> and you and you've been known this the entire you don't know this in the entire series but everything comes to light at the end and you're just like why didn't we get more of that like that is an interesting character building twist and you get it for 15 minutes before everybody lights on fire <laughs> like it's just right yeah so there's a lot there that's just that i felt that they could have you know unpacked uh a bit more it's something that i i've been able to talk about and has been bouncing around in my brain a lot more than i thought it would and so i think just with good writing excellent acting like there was hardly a moment where you're just like oh wow that was rough but most of it is just phenomenal agreed uh and and i think that really pulls you in um and so if it's if it's your kind of genre then i think that it's it's something that people should at least check out um because i think it's something that sits with you after much like ex machina set with me after and and i was just like okay yeah ex machina was scarier after than when i was watching it and i and i feel mm -hmm. like not that this is scarier after but this one still hangs with you agreed well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about uh, the show and links to some of the things that Brockett and I talked about today at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. Follow the show by name on Twitter and subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes my illustration and design portfolio and links to other podcasts like The Spawn Chunks at thespawnchunks.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media. And today I will point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I am streaming Satisfactory, Minecraft, and hopefully some new stuff over the next few months. Brockett, where can people find you online? At DCatVolver on all the social that matters.
You've been listening to the Sigil Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. 